0: Welcome back everyone to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales and the exciting conclusion of The Horror at Red Hook by H.P. Lovecraft. Things really start happening and fast in these last three chapters. So hang on and we'll see you at the end. And now, The Horror at Red Hook, Part 2 by H.P. Lovecraft. Chapter 5 Then came the June wedding and the great sensation. Flatbush was gay for the hour about high noon, and flagged cars thronged the streets near the old Dutch church where an awning stretched from door to highway. No local event ever surpassed the Soydum Garrett's nuptials in tone and scale, and the party which escorted bride and groom to the canard pier was, if not exactly the smartest, at least a solid page from the social register. At five o'clock, a dew were waved, and the ponderous liner edged away from the long pier, slowly turned its nose seaward, discarded its tug, and headed for the widening water spaces that led to old world wonders. By night the outer harbor was cleared, and late passengers watched the stars twinkling above an unpolluted ocean. Whether the tramp steamer or the scream was first to gain attention, no one can say. Probably they were simultaneous. "'but it is of no use to calculate. "'The scream came from the Soydem's stateroom, "'and the sailor who broke down the door "'could perhaps have told frightful things "'if he had not forthwith gone completely mad. "'As it is, he shrieked more loudly than the first victims, "'and thereafter ran simpering about in the vessel "'till caught and put in irons. "'The ship's doctor who entered the stateroom "'and turned on the lights a moment later, "'did not go mad, "'but told nobody what he saw till afterward.' "'when he corresponded with Malone in Chepachet. "'It was murder, strangulation. "'But one need not say that the claw-mark on Mrs. Soydam's throat "'could not have come from her husband's or any other human hand, "'or that upon the white wall there flickered for an instant in hateful red, "'a legend which, later copied from memory, "'seems to have been nothing less than the fearsome, "'chaldy letters of the word Lilith.'" One need not mention these things because they vanished so quickly. As for Sodom, one could at least bar others from the room until one knew what to think oneself. The doctor has distinctly assured Malone that he did not see it. The open porthole, just before he turned on the lights, was clouded for a second with a certain phosphorescence, and for a moment there seemed to echo in the night outside the suggestion of a faint and hellish tittering but no real outline met the eye. As proof, the doctor points to his continued sanity. Then the tramp steamer claimed all attention. A boat put off, and a horde of swart, insolent ruffians in officer's dress swarmed aboard the temporarily halted Cunard ship. They wanted Soydum, or his body. They had known of his trip, and for certain reasons were sure he would die. The captain's deck was almost a pandemonium, "'For at the instant, between the doctor's report from the stateroom "'and the demands of the men from the tramp, "'not even the wisest and gravest seamen could think of what to do. "'Suddenly the leader of the visiting mariners, "'an Arab with a hateful-looking appearance, "'pulled forth a dirty, crumpled paper and handed it to the captain. "'It was signed by Robert Soydem, and bore the following odd message. "'In case of sudden or unexplained accident or death on my part,' "'Please deliver me or my body unquestioningly "'into the hands of the bearer and his associates. "'Everything for me, and perhaps for you, "'depends on absolute compliance. "'Explanations can come later. "'Do not fail me now.' "'Signed, Robert Soydum. "'Captain and Doctor looked at each other, "'and the latter whispered something to the former. "'Finally they nodded rather helplessly "'and led the way to the State stateroom.' The doctor directed the captain's glance away as he unlocked the door and admitted the strange seaman. Nor did he breathe easily till they filed out with their burden after an uncountably long period of preparation. It was wrapped in bedding from the berths and the doctor was glad that the outlines were not very revealing. Somehow the men got the thing over the side and away to their tramp steamer without uncovering it. The cunard ship started again and the doctor and a ship's undertaker sought out the State stateroom to perform what last services they could. Once more the physician was forced to reticence and even to mendacity, for a hellish thing had happened. When the undertaker asked him why he had drained off all of Mrs. Sodom's blood, he neglected to affirm that he had not done so, nor did he point to the vacant bottle spaces on the rack or to the odor in the sink which showed the hasty disposition of the bottle's original contents. The pockets of those men, if men they were, had bulged damnably when they left the ship. Two hours later, and the world knew by radio all that it ought to know of the horrible affair. We'll return to this episode right after this sponsor message. And now, back to our episode... 10 days. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will rain. It is our time. My village. I know where they're taking your class. king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters, May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Ready PG 13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Chapter 6. That same June evening, without having heard a word from the sea, Malone was desperately busy among the alleys of Red Hook. A sudden stir seemed to permeate the place, and as if apprised by grapevine telegraph of something singular, the denizens clustered expectantly around the dance hall church and the houses in Parker Place. Three children had just disappeared, blue-eyed Norwegians from the streets toward Gowanus, and there were rumors of a mob forming among the sturdy Vikings of that section. Malone had for weeks been urging his colleagues to attempt a general cleanup and at last moved by conditions more obvious to their common sense than the conjectures of a Dublin dreamer. They had agreed upon a final stroke. The unrest and menace of this evening had been the deciding factor and just about midnight a raiding party recruited from three stations descended upon Parker Place and its environs. Doors were battered in, stragglers arrested and candle-lighted rooms "'forced to disgorge unbelievable throngs "'of mixed foreigners in figured robes, "'miters, and other inexplicable devices. "'Much was lost in the melee, "'for objects were thrown hastily down "'unexpected shafts, "'and betraying odors deadened "'by the sudden kindling of pungent incense. "'But spattered blood was everywhere, "'and Malone shuddered whenever he saw "'a brazier or altar from which "'the smoke was still rising. "'He wanted to be in several places at once,' and decided on Soydim's basement flat only after a messenger had reported the complete emptiness of the dilapidated dance hall church. The flat, he thought, must hold some clue to a cult of which the occult scholar had so obviously become the center and leader. And it was with real expectancy that he ransacked the musty rooms, noted their vaguely charnel odor, and examined the curious books, instruments, gold ingots, and glass-stoppered bottles scattered carelessly here and there. Once a lean, black-and-white cat edged between his feet and tripped him, overturning at the same time a beaker half full of a red liquid. The shock was severe, and to this day Malone is not certain of what he saw. But in dreams, he still pictures that cat as it scuttled away with certain monstrous alterations and peculiarities. Then came the locked cellar door, and the search for something to break it down. A heavy stool stood near. "'and its tough seat was more than enough for the antique panels. "'A crack formed and enlarged, and the whole door gave way. "'But from the other side, whence poured a howling tumult of ice-cold wind "'with all the stenches of the bottomless pit. "'And whence reached a sucking force not of earth or heaven, "'which, coiling sentiently about the paralyzed detective, "'dragged him through the aperture and down unmeasured spaces "'filled with whispers and wails.' "'and gusts of mocking laughter. "'Of course, it was a dream. "'All the specialists have told him so, "'and he has nothing to prove to the contrary. "'Indeed, he would rather have it thus, "'for then the sight of old brick slums "'and dark foreign places "'would not eat so deeply into his soul. "'But at the time, it was all horribly real, "'and nothing can ever efface the memory "'of those knighted crypts, "'those titan arcades.' and those half-formed shapes of hell that strode gigantically in silence, holding half-eaten things, whose still-surviving portions screamed for mercy, or laughed out of madness. Odors of incense and corruption joined in sickening concert, and the black air was alive with the cloudy, semi-visible bulk of shapeless elemental things with eyes. Somewhere, dark, sticky water was lapping at onyx piers, and once the shivery tinkle of raucous little bells pealed out to greet the insane titter of a naked phosphorescent thing which swam into sight scrambled ashore and climbed up to squat leeringly on a carved golden pedestal in the background avenues of limitless night seemed to radiate in every direction till one might fancy that there lay the root of a contagion destined to sicken and swallow cities and engulf nations in the fetter of hybrid pestilence. Here, cosmic sin had entered, and festered by unhallowed rites had commenced the grinning march of death that was to rot us all to the fungus abnormalities too hideous for the graves holding. Satan here held his Babylonish court, and in the blood of stainless childhood the leprous limbs of phosphorescent Lilith were laved. Incubi and succubi held praise to Hecate, and headless moon calves bleated to the magna mater. Goats leaped to the sound of thin, accursed flutes, and Egyptians chased endlessly after misshapen fawns over rocks twisted like swollen toads. Moloch and Ashtaroth were not absent, for in this quintessence of all damnation the bounds of consciousness were let down, and man's fancy lay open to vistas of every realm of horror and every forbidden dimension that evil had power to mold. The world and nature were helpless against such assaults from unsealed wells of night. Nor could any sign or prayer check the walpurgis riot of horror which had come when a sage with the hateful key had stumbled on a hoard with the locked and brimming coffer of transmitted demon lore. Suddenly a ray of physical light shot through these phantasms, And Malone heard the sound of oars Amidst the blasphemies of things That should be dead A boat with a lantern in its prow Darted into sight Made fast to an iron ring In the slimy stone pier And vomited forth several dark men Bearing a long burden Swathed in bedding They took it to the naked Phosphorescent thing On carved golden pedestal And the thing tittered And pawed at the bedding Then they unswathed it and propped upright before the pedestal, the gangrenous corpse of a corpulent old man with stubbly beard and unkempt white hair. The phosphorescent thing tittered again, and the men produced bottles from their pockets and anointed its feet with red, whilst they afterward gave the bottles to the thing to drink from. All at once, from an arcaded avenue leading endlessly away, there came the demoniac rattle and wheeze of a blasphemous organ. Choking and rumbling out the mockeries of hell in a cracked, sardonic bass. In an instant, every moving entity was electrified and forming at once into a ceremonial procession. The nightmare horde slithered away in quest of the sound goat, satyr, and ejapan, incubus, succubus, and lemure, twisted toad and shapeless elemental, dog faced howler and silent strutter in darkness all led by the abominable naked phosphorescent thing that had squatted on the carved golden throne. And now that strode insolently bearing in its arms the glassy-eyed corpse of the corpulent old man. The strange dark men danced in the rear, and the whole column skipped and leaped with Dionysiac fury. Malone staggered after them a few steps, delirious and hazy, and doubtful of his place in this or in any world. Then he turned, faltered, and sank down on the cold, damp stone, gasping and shivering as the demon organ croaked on, and the howling and drumming and tinkling of the mad procession grew fainter and fainter. Vaguely he was conscious of chanted horrors and shocking croakings afar off. Now and then, a wall or whine of ceremonial devotion would float to him through the black arcade whilst eventually there rose a dreadful Greek incantation whose text he had read above the pulpit of that dance-hall church. O friend and companion of night, thou who rejoicest in the baying of dogs, here a hideous howl burst forth and spilt blood, here nameless sounds vied with morbid shriekings, who wanderest in the midst of shades among the tombs, and here a whistling sigh occurred, who longest for blood and bringest terror to mortals. And while reading that, he heard short, sharp cries from myriad throats. Gorgo, thousand-faced moon, look favorably on our sacrifices. As the chant closed, a general shout went up, and hissing sounds nearly drowned the croaking of the cracked bass organ. Then a gasp, as from many throats, and a babel of barked and bleated words, Lilith, "'Great Lilith! Behold, the Bridegroom!' More cries, a glamour of rioting, and the sharp clicking footfalls of a running figure. The footfalls approached, and Malone raised himself to his elbow to look. The luminosity of the crypt, lately diminished, had now slightly increased, and in that devil light there appeared a fleeing form of that which should not flee, or feel, or breathe.' the glassy-eyed, gangrenous corpse of the corpulent old man, now needing no support, but animated by some infernal sorcery of the right just closed. After it raced the naked, tittering, phosphorescent thing that belonged on the carven pedestal, and still farther behind him panted the dark men and all the dread crew of sentient loathsomeness. The corpse was gaining on its pursuers and seemed bent on a definite object, straining with every rotting muscle toward the carved golden pedestal, whose necromantic importance was evidently so great. Another moment, and it had reached its goal, whilst the trailing throng labored on with more frantic speed. But they were too late, for in one final spurt of strength which ripped tendon from tendon and sent its noisome bulk floundering to the floor in a state of jellyish disillusion, the staring corpse which had been Robert Soydum achieved its object and its triumph. The push had been tremendous, but the force had held out, and as the pusher collapsed to a muddy blotch of corruption, the pedestal he had pushed tottered, tipped, and finally careened from its onyx base into the thick waters below, sending up a parting gleam of carven gold as it sank heavily to undreamable gulfs of lower Tartarus. In that instant, too, the whole scene of horror faded to nothingness before Malone's eyes, and he fainted amidst a thunderous crash which seemed to blot out all the evil universe. We'll return to this episode right after this sponsor message and now, back to our episode. Chapter 7 Malone's dream, experienced in full before he knew of Soydem's death and transferred sea, was curiously supplemented by some odd realities of the case, though that is no reason why anyone should believe it. The three old houses in Parker Place, doubtless long, rotten with decay in its most insidious form, collapsed, without visible cause, "'while half the raiders and most of the prisoners were inside. "'And of both, the greater number were instantly killed. "'Only in the basements and cellars was there much saving of life, "'and Malone was lucky to have been deep below the house of Robert Soidum. "'For he really was there, as no one is disposed to deny. "'They found him unconscious by the edge of a night-black pool, "'with a grotesquely horrible jumble of decay and bone.' "'identifiable through dental work as the body of Soydem, a few feet away. "'The case was plain, for it was hither that the smuggler's underground canal led, "'and the men who took Soydem from the ship had brought him home. "'They themselves were never found, or at least never identified, "'and the ship's doctor is not yet satisfied with the simple certitudes of the police.' "'Soydom was evidently a leader "'in extensive man-smuggling operations, "'for the canal to his house "'was but one of several subterranean channels "'and tunnels in the neighborhood. "'There was a tunnel from this house "'to a crypt beneath the dance hall church, "'a crypt accessible from the church "'only through a narrow secret passage "'in the north wall, "'and in whose chambers some singular "'and terrible things were discovered. "'The croaking organ was there.' as well as a vast arched chapel with wooden benches and a strangely figured altar. The walls were lined with small cells, in seventeen of which, hideous to relate, solitary prisoners in a state of complete idiocy were found chained, including four mothers with infants of disturbingly strange appearance. These infants died soon after exposure to the light, a circumstance which the doctors thought rather merciful, "'Nobody but Malone, among those who inspected them, "'remembered the somber question of old Delrio. "'And sint unquam, dameris incubi et succubi, "'et an ex congressu proles, nasci quiat. "'Before the canals were filled up, they were thoroughly dredged, "'and yielded forth a sensational array of sawed and spilt bones of all sizes.' The kidnapping epidemic, very clearly, had been traced home, though only two of the surviving prisoners could by any legal thread be connected with it. These men are now in prison, since they failed a conviction as accessories in the actual murders. The carved golden pedestal or throne so often mentioned by Malone, as of primary occult importance, was never brought to light, though at one place under the Soydem House the canal was observed to sink into a well too deep for dredging. It was choked up at the mouth and cemented over when the cellars of the new houses were made. But Malone often speculates on what lies beneath. The police, satisfied that they had shattered a dangerous gang of maniacs and man-smugglers, turned over to the federal authorities the unconvicted Kurds, who before their deportation were conclusively found to belong to the Yazidi clan of of devil-worshippers. The Tramp Ship and its crew remain an elusive mystery, though cynical detectives are once more ready to combat its smuggling and rum-running ventures. Malone thinks these detectives show a sadly limited perspective in their lack of wonder at the myriad unexplainable details and the suggestive obscurity of the whole case, though he is just as critical of the newspapers, which saw only a morbid sensation and gloated over a minor sadist cult when they might have proclaimed a horror from the universe's very heart. But he is content to rest silent in Chapachet, calming his nervous system and praying that time may gradually transfer his terrible experience from the realm of present reality to that of picturesque and semi-mythical remoteness. Robert Soydem sleeps beside his bride in Greenwood Cemetery. No funeral was held over the strangely released bones and relatives are grateful for the swift oblivion which overtook the case as a whole. The scholar's connection with the Red Hook horrors, indeed, was never emblazoned by legal proof, since his death forestalled the inquiry he would otherwise have faced. His own end is not much mentioned, and the Soydams hope that posterity may recall him only as a gentle recluse who dabbled in harmless magic and folklore. As for Red Hook, it is always the same. Soidom came and went, a terror gathered and faded, but the evil spirit of darkness and squalor broods on amongst the mongrels in the old brick houses, and prowling bands still parade on unknown errands past windows where lights and twisted faces unaccountably appear and disappear. Age-old horror is a hydra with a thousand heads, and the cults of darkness are rooted in blasphemies deeper than the well of Democritus. The soul of the beast is omnipresent and triumphant, and Red Hook's legions of blear-eyed, pockmarked youth still chant and curse and howl as they file from abyss to abyss. None knows whence or whither, pushed on by blind jaws of biology which they may never understand. As of old, more people enter Red Hook then leave it on the landward side, and there are already rumors of new canals running underground to certain centers of traffic in liquor and less mentionable things. The dance hall church is now mostly a dance hall, and queer faces have appeared at night in the windows. Lately a policeman expressed the belief that the filled-up crypt has been dug out again, and for no simply explainable purpose. "'Who are we to combat poisons older than history and mankind? "'Apes danced in Asia to those horrors, "'and the cancer lurks secure and spreading "'where furtiveness hides its rows of decaying brick.' "'Malone does not shudder without cause. "'For only the other day an officer overheard "'a swarthy, squinting hag teaching a small child "'some whispered patois in the shadow of an areaway. "'He listened,' AND THOUGHT IT VERY STRANGE WHEN HE HEARD HER REPEAT, OVER AND OVER AGAIN, O FRIEND AND COMPANION OF NIGHT, THOU WHO REJOICEST IN THE BANE OF DOGS AND SPILT BLOOD, WHO WANDEREST IN THE MIDST OF SHADES AMONG THE TOMBS, WHO LONGEST FOR BLOOD AND BRINGEST TERROR TO MORTALS, GORDO, MORMO, THOUSAND-FACED MOON, LOOK FAVORABLY ON OUR SACRIFICES. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Apple listeners, if you enjoy our show, please do send us a review. We would appreciate that very much. We also appreciate your feedback at our Facebook group at facebook.com 1001Heroes and just look for our 1001 Heroes group. We also ask that you enjoy the other shows in our 1001 Stories network, those being 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories and Mysteries, 1001 Greatest Love Stories 1001 Stories for the Road 1001 Radio Days and 1001 Histories Best Storytellers which features our author interviews every Sunday night the only show that we have every Wednesday night is 1001 Greatest Love Stories which is really just an extension of this show 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales but with a few more classic woman authors Thanks for being a part of the 1001 Network. We appreciate your support, and please do support our sponsors. That's very important to us. Thank you, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll be back next Sunday night with a brand new episode. See you soon.